Take your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. You know that song right there that Cindy just sang, it kind of reminds us of something we often forget that at this time of year. And Jesus did come, but He's coming back. And the next time, He won't be coming to a manger. He'll be coming not as a lowly babe who took upon Himself human flesh, but as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Galatians chapter 4. Today we celebrate the birth of Christ. You know, R.C. Sproul one time said that we celebrate at Christmas not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God, of a man, of God taking upon himself human flesh. What brings people to sonship, adoption, from slavery is the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there would be no death and there would be no resurrection if there had not been a birth. And so he comes this morning and we were, we understand, you know, Paul talks in Romans and he talks here in Galatians about how we were under the law and how the law condemns us because we're all guilty of breaking God's law. And God rightly condemns us to death. We, as a preacher one time said, we are all guilty of high treason against the king of the universe. And we have been given the death sentence. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus came under the law, Paul says. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his woman, uh, his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. As these verses outline the plan of salvation, these two verses right here, they give six central teachings about the coming of Christ. We see, number one, the timing of his coming. You ever been in a situation in your life and you pray to God and you, you, you think, you know, God, I need something done and I need it done now. You know, I think about, I think about Mary and Martha when they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. And, and they just knew he would come and heal him. But Jesus didn't come. When he does come, <clears throat> Lazarus has been dead four days. And she says, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, your brother will live again. And she says, I know when the day comes that he's, Jesus said, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, I think that's one of the things we often misunderstand about Christ. Jesus didn't come to give us joy. He came to be our joy. He is our salvation. He is the resurrection. He doesn't just raise people from the dead. He is the resurrection. And when we have Christ, we have everything. But Jesus was four days late, according to us. But according to Jesus, he was right on time. 
And many times, you know, as we talked about last night, throughout history, from, from the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned and all through the centuries to the coming of Christ, Jesus had been predicted, he had been prophesied, he had been waited upon, they, they, they knew a Messiah was coming, and throughout those ages, the prophets and the people of Israel and the world had said, where? Where is he? We need him. And God said... When the time is right, he will come. And so Paul says in the fullness of time, when it had come, the timing of this, God the Father determined when God the Son would come to redeem his people. You know, this morning, as I was uh, waiting on time to come to church, I was watching Stephen Lawson preach on the glory of God. And, and as I listened to him, and I thought, wow, this is, you know, so you know how you know something, but you hear somebody say it, and it just really opens up more to you? Do we understand that from the very beginning, before God ever created the heavens and the earth, God already determined the end result? Everything that happens is in the predetermined plan of God. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. That brings a tremendous amount of comfort to my soul. That I may wake up tomorrow and find out that I have some terminal disease. But I can rest in the fact that God said, this is part of my plan. And remember that I work all things together for good to those who love me. And are called according to my purpose. And so Jesus, God is the one. He, The Father determined when the Son would come to redeem His people. John Calvin one time said, Jesus came when the time which had been ordained by the providence of God was seasonable and fit. Do we trust God? Do we trust God to know that, that, you know, when we talked about Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, for all we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and call according to His purpose. And when something happens to you, I'll quote that verse to you as a comforting way. But when it happens to me, I tend to forget that verse. <laughs> you ever notice that's what we do? But the time was right. The Greeks had provided a common language and culture that allowed for the proclaiming of the gospel. The Romans, through their might, made the spread of the gospel possible. Now it's interesting because the Greeks, they didn't know about God. They didn't care about God, but God used them. The Romans... They didn't care about God, but God used them. Listen, I got to be careful right here. Well, I mean, I mean, I got to be careful because I'm not getting up on a soapbox here. So please don't think that I am. But listen, folks, I'm not happy with the current political climate of our nation. But I want to tell you something. This is all in the plan of God. 
And it's hard sometimes for us to see that. But when the time is right, God will do what He has to do. And when the time was right, God sent His Son. It was just at the right time. It was not a moment too soon or not a moment too late. God is always right on time. But here's what we forget. It's not according to our timetable. It's according to God's. You know why that is? Because God is the one who knows the end from the beginning. I don't. I look at things that come into my life and I say, I don't understand this. This hurts. I'm confused. I'm afraid. God, what are you doing? God, where are you? And God says, do you trust me? Have I ever failed you? Have I ever let you down? And so the time was right when God sent His Son into the world to redeem His people. So we see the timing of His coming. We see the origin of His coming. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son. This testifies to the eternal deity of Christ. The fact that that babe lying in a manger was God Himself is something the world doesn't know. It's something the world doesn't understand. You know, the world, they, they look at the life of Jesus. They see that little baby lying in a manger and say, Oh, how sweet. Oh, how beautiful. And they see how he grows and becomes a man and begins his ministry. And they say he was such a good man. He was such a loving person. And what a tragedy it is that they killed him for it. No, it was not a tragedy. It was in the plan and the purpose of God because in eternity past there was a, uh, it's what we call a covenant of redemption. When God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit decided together, we need to redeem man. And this is how we're going to do it. And God the Son came. God sent forth His Son. Uh, the fact that the Son was sent shows that He existed before Bethlehem. Jesus did not come into existence when he became a baby there in Bethlehem's stable. He is the eternal Son of God, fully equal to the Father in, in glory and in might. He is the second person of the Trinity. And when the time had fully come, the eternal Son of God stepped down from his throne in heaven, came into this world. He humbled himself, the Bible said. It's what we call the humiliation of Christ, that the Creator would become the creation in order to save the creation. <clears throat> By the way, in a few months, this morning we may celebrate the humiliation of Christ, but in a few months we will celebrate the exaltation of Christ. Jesus came at the right time and He was fully God. We see the manner of His coming. The word sent implies his eternal deity, but the word born declares his true identity, his true nature, that he was a man, that his humanity. This is the doctrine of the incarnation of God becoming man. Paul over in, uh, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy. 
First Timothy 3.16 says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Do you understand how God became a man? I don't either. It's a mystery to us. But Paul says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in the world, and taken up into glory. This is the manner of Christ's coming. He came and took upon himself true humanity. He became one of us. As I heard someone say, one of the Puritans one time said, he became like us so that we can become like him. What better way to emphasize the true humanity of Jesus than to say that he was born of a woman. He was born of a woman. He took upon our flesh. He took upon our nature, though without sin. And it is just because Jesus is a true man that he could be a true Savior. You see, the fact that he was God and that he was sinless qualified him to be the sacrifice. And as Paul tells us, as by one man sin came into the world, Adam, so too by one man came redemption into the world. The second Adam, the last Adam. It is just because of his true humanity that we can know that he is truly qualified to be our Savior. We see the condition of his coming. The condition of Christ's coming was in perfect obedience. One of my favorite, turn over a few, page, a few books to the book of Philippians. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. In the early church, some believe this was a song that they used to sing when they would gather together. Chapter 2 of Philippians, beginning with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, which means he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is so beautiful. There, in that one passage, we have both the humiliation and the exaltation of Christ. But the condition in which he came was in perfect obedience. Jesus was born a Jew, and therefore he was bound to obey God's law in its entirety. Jesus came, he, he was born under the law, Paul says, there in, in Galatians where we are. Paul says he was born under the law because we could not keep the law. But he kept it perfectly. He says in verse 5, to redeem those. Well, go back to verse 4. He was born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. We were under the law. And Jesus was born under the law, and he kept the law entirely for his people. He suffered the, he suffered 
the penalty for our sin. What is the penalty of sin? For the wages of sin is death. And Jesus suffered and he died and he was born of the law. He kept the law. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is why it's so important we understand the doctrine of imputation. Everybody knows what that is, right? The doctrine of imputation. That there on the cross, as we looked at last night, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God through him. There on the cross, there was a great exchange that took place. The filthy rags of my righteousness. I, I took off and Jesus put it on himself. And the brilliant, pure sinless robe of righteousness that he wore, he took off and gave to me. And this is what Paul talks about because Jesus came, he suffered the punishment for our inability to live up to God's law. He suffered the punishment that you and I deserved. He suffered the death that we deserved. There's an old, old song. I'll, I'll tell you the first time I ever stood up in church and sang a song. I sang a song that was an old song, and it's called The Cross in the Middle. And what that song says is it talks about everything that happened to Jesus and how uh, when, when the hammers were nailed, it was me that did it. But it also talks about how that cross in the middle should have been mine. I was the one that deserved it. I was the one that deserved to die. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. Let me ask you a question. You and I, we, we've been talking in our, in our study of holiness about how we are called to be obedient to Christ. Are you perfectly obedient to Christ? Are you? None of us are. But there's one who is. And it's because of him that God can look at us and say, so are you. You know, we, we talked about how it's such a wonderful thing to know that I have besetting sins in my life. And you do too. And how we are called to set those aside. And, and, and I will give in to a temptation. I will sin and I will go to God and I will humble myself before him and repent of that sin and seek his forgiveness. And when I do, you know what he says? He says, done. And you know what happens the next day? Same thing all over again. Same sin. And the next day, same thing all over again. Same sin. And we get to a point where you say, God, surely you get tired of this. And you know what happens when I go to God today and I confess and I repent and I seek his forgiveness and he says, done. And tomorrow when I go to God and say, Lord, I did it again. You did what again? I sinned. He said, what do you mean again? As far as I'm concerned, first time you've ever done this. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Christmas is for. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father so that you and I, imputed with his righteousness, can stand before a holy God. And we see the twofold purpose of Christ's coming. He says in verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. You know, we talked about there in Romans, there is this uh, erroneous teaching in the world today. And, and most people believe this, that we're all God's children. That God loves everybody. Listen, I want to tell you, the fact that preachers stand in pulpits and say God loves everybody 
is one of the biggest lies they tell because the Bible doesn't teach this. He came to redeem those who were under the law. Uh, if you turn back to chapter 1 of Galatians and look at verse 4. <clears throat> it says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God of our God and Father, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. This is why Jesus came. He redeemed us, not by his birth, but by his death. As Jesus was the, the, became sin, as he took upon himself our sin, as he, our sinfulness was imputed to him, as his righteousness was imputed to us, but as Jesus hung there on that cross, enduring the sin of the world. And he said, Tetelestai. That's a beautiful word. You know when a conquering king would go out to war, and he would win the battles, and win the war, and he would come back, riding back into the city, the king would be riding on a white horse and he would be he would have the spoils of war. Behind him would be the, 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 the conquered nations that had become slaves. Behind him would be all the, the, the trinkets and everything that came from from looting the conquered cities. And the king would ride through the streets and he would shout at the top of his lungs. Telestai. It is done. It is finished. It is accomplished. That's what Jesus cried out. It is accomplished. He redeemed us through his death. What qualified him to redeem us from the law is the fact that he kept the law perfectly. That he was able to impute to us his righteousness. And what was the ultimate result of this? That we might receive the adoption as sons. In John chapter 1 verse 12, John says, that as many as received him, to them he gave the right or the authority to call themselves children of God. Listen, folks, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you have not received him, if you have not received the gift of eternal life, if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a child of God. It's just that simple. You know, it's interesting that Jesus, when he in his earthly ministry, when he would be confronted by the, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he told them, he said, you are of your father, the devil. But Jesus came that we might have the adoption of sons. Jesus became like us so that we might become like him. And isn't that what Paul told us in Romans chapter 8? I know y'all are going to read this, want, want me to read it, so I'm going to. And those, hang on, i got to back up here. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Listen, Jesus came on Christmas and became like us in order that he might make us like him. Isn't that great? 
You know, I, I, I challenged folks on Wednesday night in our Bible study something. I'm going to challenge you with it. When you pray, ask God, make me like Jesus. But I want to tell you something. You better mean it when you say it because he's going to mean it when he does it. And it's going to be a wild ride. Lord, make me like Jesus. Jesus came and he turned slaves into sons. I love how, I believe it's J.I. Packer. He says, salvation can be summed up like this. God goes out and finds his worst enemy, brings him in, sits him down at the table, feeds him, and then makes him a son. That's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happened. So Jesus came that he might redeem us who were under the law and that we might receive the adoption as sons. And you and I today, when we pray, we can say our father. We can cry out, Abba, father, dear father, my father. You know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. That probably shocked them. Because that was not the way God was addressed. The, the religious leaders, they told Jesus, they say, you are guilty of blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make God your Father. And Jesus prayed and said, our Father. And he told me I can pray that way. And when I get on my knees before God, I can say, Dear Father, this is your son. Jesus told a wonderful parable about the prodigal son who went to his father, said, You know what? I'm tired of working here. I'm tired of living here. Give me my inheritance. I'm going out on my own. You realize what an insult that was to his father? Do you know when you get an inheritance? When someone dies. And yet he goes to his father and he says, I want my inheritance now. I can't wait for you to die. But you know what? The father gave it to him. And he went out and, and he, he, he blew it all a riotous living. Wine, women, and song. He had all these friends around him. As long as he had money. When the money ran out, so did the friends. And he found himself the worst possible place any Jewish boy could find himself. Feeding hogs. In a hog pen. And he's sitting there, he's watching those hogs eat, and he says, you know what, they're eating better than I am. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven, I have sinned against you, just make me like one of your hired servants. So he takes off home. And then we see another beautiful part of the picture. The father seeing him far off. You know what that implies, don't you? That every day the father stood on the front porch and looked and said, I wonder if today he'll come home. And when the father saw him, the father said, I knew it. I knew he'd come crawling back. 
So the father sits there in his rocking chair, just waiting. And his father says, well, what do you got to say for yourself? Is that what happened? No. The father ran out to meet him. You ever heard a song called When God Ran? That's a beautiful song. If you never heard that song, you need to listen to it. It's called When God Ran. The father ran out to the son. He embraced his son. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. Please just make me one of your hired servants. And the father said, No. Put a ring on his finger because he's my son. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a feast because my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost has now been found. You know why the father did that? Because he was his father. You realize the point Jesus is making in that? You ever found yourself in the hog pen? I have. And if you hadn't, you will. You know what you got to do? You say, I'm going back home. And when you do, the Father, He embraces you. He puts a ring on your finger. He kills the fatted calf and says, My son who was dead is now alive. My son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost has now been found. And this is what Jesus came to do. He came so that you and I could receive the adoption as sons of the living God. You know, it's an interesting thing that when God created the heavens and the earth, <clears throat> God spoke and said, let there be light. And instantly there was light. God spoke, and this happened. God spoke, and that happened. To create this vast universe, all God had to do was speak. But to save me, he had to die. To save you, he had to die. Isn't that just astounding right there? But Jesus came that he might turn us who were once slaves to sin into sons of the living God. That's why he came. What do you see when you look at the Son of God lying in a manger? As I said last night, the cross is empty. The cradle is empty. The tomb is empty. But the throne is occupied. And you know who sits there? The living God. John tells us that today there is a man in the heavens. That we have a mediator between us and God. The man, Christ Jesus. Do you know that today, right now, Jesus is the only man in heaven with a physical body? Now someday we will be. But do you ever think about that? That today there is a man in the heavens who is God in the flesh. He came to save us from sin. You know, if you ask most people, what did Jesus come to save you from? If you ask most church people, what did Jesus come to save you from? They'll say, well, I'm so glad Jesus saved me from hell. Jesus did not come to save you from hell. Jesus came to save us from sin. Because you see, if I believe that all Jesus did was save me from hell, then I can say, well, I can do whatever I want to. 
Hell's no longer my destination. But if I understand that Jesus came to save me from sin, then I understand that every day I must die to myself. Every day I must turn to the living God, my Father, when I sin. Let us rejoice and praise God for His wonderful gift to us. Paul called Christ the indescribable gift that we thank God for. Have you repented of your sin? Have you believed in the Savior? You know, today, do you think about this day is a day about family and food and, since it's on Sunday, football, presents, Christmas trees? It's not what it's about. It's about one who came to die so that we might live. That's what he came for. Have you by faith received the eternal gift that God has given to us? This morning, as you opened a gift... Or sometime today, someone gives you gifts and you open them and you're, you're grateful for them. And do we ever stop and think about the greatest gift ever? And I didn't deserve it. God did not look at me and say, you know what, I'm going to save him because he always does what I want. God doesn't look at me and say, I'm going to save him, I'm going to give him this gift, because he always does what I think he should. We'd all be on our way to hell, by the way, if God did that. God said, he's in need, there's nothing he can do, but I can. And he opens to the, to the, to the world and says, here, here's the gift. Here's the gift of eternal life. Jesus didn't come to give us eternal life. Jesus came to be our eternal life. That's why it's important we understand we must have Him. It all starts with Him. Not what He gives us, not what He promises us, but who He is. Emmanuel. God with us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, how do we even begin to describe the thankfulness that we have that you had in as we were dead in our trespasses and sins you sent your son born of a woman under the law to do for us what we could not do for ourselves for the sole purpose father of redeeming us from the law and making us your sons and daughters thank you heavenly father for your gift thank you for jesus for in him we have everything we will ever need. Thank you, Father, that He took upon Himself our sinfulness. And that in turn, as we believe by faith in Him, He gives us His righteousness. Thank you, Father, that I can stand before you in the righteousness of Christ. We thank you that in Jesus we are forgiven, we are accepted, we are pardoned, we are sons. We are your children. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.